Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome to Seasons. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. For over a year now, many of us have been cooking three meals a day at home. Even those of us who weren't feeding sourdough starters were in our kitchens way more than usual. With all that cooking going on, you might be in a rut. Or you might be ready to free yourself from the confines of traditional recipes and improvise a little bit. Our guest this hour is an expert improviser and the perfect person to remind you that you can cook and you don't always need a recipe. Sam Sifton is the assistant managing editor at The New York Times and the founding editor of New York Times Cooking, which is a digital treasure trove of recipes and techniques for home cooks. We're talking to Sam about his latest book, No Recipe Recipes. Sam Sifton, thank you so much for joining us here at Seasoned. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. First off, I have to say your newsletters greet me all the time in my inbox. I look forward to them. They single-handedly got me through the pandemic because you don't just talk about food in your newsletters in the way that you don't just talk about food even in your recipes or anything of the like. What inspires you to do that? And how do you manage to find a way to connect the mundane to food? Oh, well, thanks very much for saying that the newsletter, which goes out four times a week, is is or could be an albatross around my neck, you know, right? But I've chosen, particularly in the last year, to recognize it as an ability to to reach out to our audience in what I hope is an empathetic way and to make the observation that we are all of us in all of our differences going through similar things together apart, right? So I want to acknowledge that it's hard to cook all the time. And I want to acknowledge that there is deliciousness to be found despite that fact. And I want to encourage people to remember that food is just one part of the tapestry of our culture, the tapestry of our experience, and and that we should encourage one another always to connect through food, but also to remember that food is a cultural product, just like a book or a movie or a painting or a dance. And I want to talk about those things too, because what I don't want to talk about over the dinner table is the food itself. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, I I spent most of the morning watching videos of you. And by the way, you're fantastic on camera. Thank you. I always love to see people who are cooking and they're comfortable in their cooking, which probably tends to lend to this cookbook where there's no recipe recipes. But where did your love for food come from? Do you have a restaurant background? Were you a chef back when, you know, the high school days? Where does your love of food come from? Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and spent the weekends with my father uh, provisioning the house for the week to come. Uh, So we spent a lot of time driving around in this cruddy old lemon of a Dodge Aspen stopping in at at stores. He had a particular place for bread, a particular place for ham, a particular place for fruit, a particular place on and on and on, down to a particular place for ginger beer, which was a great 
treat of my childhood. And I, I guess that must have rubbed off on me because in college for work, I, I made my way into a restaurant and I was a cashier. But it seemed to me that the guys in the kitchen and the women in the kitchen were having a lot more fun than I was. <laughs> and I was drawn to it just in the same way that I'm, you know, I was drawn to journalism. It's an intense job with a lot of adrenaline and it's over at the end of the day, the end of the shift, you ship the paper, you finish your shift and, and go to the bar yeah. and money was good and it was exciting. And so that's where it came from, I guess. But of course I became a journalist and I always kept food in my back pocket because I know that I can start a conversation with anyone, anytime, anywhere using food as the subject matter. That's a fantastic mantra. I actually really love that. You can start a conversation with anybody anywhere about food. 100% correct. And more importantly from that story, Sam, did that Aspen have the faux wood panels on it? <laughs> oh, it totally had the faux wood panels on it. That's what I'm talking about. It was such a lemon that when we took possession of it, we, did, we didn't realize till we got home, but it said Aspen on one side and Valari on the other because, of course... <laughs> The, the, the two, the two companies great. made the same car and it got badged. That's awesome. It got badged both. I love this. Wow. I love this. Um, I want to, I want to go to your cookbook because, you know, when I, I work with Plum, who's obviously a classically trained chef and we will often ask him, Plum, what's the recipe for that? And he's like, I'm a chef. We don't have recipes. We just make the thing. <laughs> and I understand why, you know, I'm, I'm a, a home cook, right? I think I, like baseball, I know more than the average bird, but I can't uh, I can't open a restaurant, <laughs> nor would I want to. Right. And so when I look at no recipe recipes, it certainly came in handy during the pandemic. What inspired you to write this? And how did you know to speak to our hearts? And what is, do we really not need a recipe? Because we must need something. Well, a, a buddy of mine suggested that maybe an alternate title for this cookbook would be No Recipe Recipes parentheses, contains 100 recipes, and parentheses. <laughs> well, now you can't write a book without a title that has at least 17 lines, a colon, an ellipses, <laughs> and a, you know, an ibid. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can be problematic. Um, the truth of the matter is No Recipe Recipes came about because I spend a lot of time in kitchens talking to professional chefs. And professional chefs sometimes say, as you did, uh, you don't need a recipe. I just make it. I'm a pro. It's a technique, Sam. It's a technique. Exactly. Exactly. So I hear a lot of that. Um, or I'm given an immensely complicated document that that um, just doesn't make any sense at all. Chefs are not great recipe writers. They are fantastic cooks, however. Amen to that. So in the interviews, a lot of times the chef I'm talking to might say, well, it's pretty simple. You, braid, you know, sweat these onions off. Blah, 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 do this, do that. And I kind of listen, listen, listen. But while at the same time observing his or her actions at the stove, right? And then I go home and make that into a proper recipe that we can develop and test and put into the newspaper. But boy, you know, there are a lot of times when the story isn't quite right or the recipe isn't quite right for the story that I'm doing, but he told me or she told me how to do it anyway. And then I end up just cooking it the way I was told to cook it. And it's amazing. And I thought, you know, what a great break for our readers at New York Times Cooking if I could give them permission once a week to 
to cook the way they want to cook yeah. based on a prompt from me so that it's not like follow this sheet music exactly and you will sound like you know the recording of the, of the music it's here are the basic chords of of the song and you can kind of rough out your version of it from that and i got to tell you it's been kind of a success you know i think one of the things i i really love about this book i feel like you're in my brain when you were making this book cuz i get asked well how much of that do I, how many cups of that do i put in i, I don't i don't know like Taste it. Use your hands. Use your tongue. Use your a sense of smell. It doesn't have to always have to have a measurement. And that's one of the things I loved about this book. Here's some ingredients. Here's some instructions. Go have fun with it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And what's great about it is what I do and what you do would be totally different given the same kind of structure of ingredients and rough amounts. And I think that that, when it succeeds, gives the home cook a sense of accomplishment and a confidence that will lead her to be able to do it again the next time. Uh, I think it improves recipe cooking too, because you realize that, okay, well, they're saying two teaspoons of kosher salt, but I'm not feeling it. I'm going full tablespoon. Full tablespoon. You're wild. There you go. Wild man. <laughs> <laughs> um whether we like the the tablespoons, the measurements, the eyeball, the throw in a chef plum is good for you know just eyeball it, give it a throw or whatever. You know, I'm always like, oh, geez, I wish he was here with me right now, but I'm just gonna have to trust my instinct. The other thing I trust is that I have a stocked pantry, because you can't really do any of this stuff if you don't have the staples. That's correct. So I want to know right now what you have in your pantry. Oh, I, my pantry is packed it would take us we'd have to this would be like uh, a two-hour special like a two-hour podcast special if we uh we'd get ken burns in here he'd do six hours of what's in sam's exactly i need to show you some sepia photographs um (laughs) what listen what i think of when i think of the pantry is kind of a world that's divided in two between essentials that you really just need to have around so that you can make a meal if you need to make a meal. And that includes stuff like grains, right? A couple different kinds of rice. It includes pasta. It includes beans. It includes tomato sauce. It includes tomato paste. It includes a neutral oil so that you can saute, olive oil so you can make a vinaigrette, a couple different vinegars, etc. That's the kind of like table steaks for a pantry. You could add to that potatoes, onions, got to have those things on hand. Probably a good idea to have some stuff frozen in the, in the refrigerator, in the freezer that you can pull out if you, if you need them in a, in a jam. I include like organic corn kernels and peas in that regard. Then on the other side of the room, the other side of this massive pantry in our minds are what I think of as flavor boosters. And I'm heavy on condiments there. Heavy, heavy, heavy on condiments. So everything from, you know, a good mustard collection to a good chutney collection to a couple tubs of gochujang and samjang, soy sauce, dark soy sauce, light soy sauce. Now some, some more oils, sesame oil might be in there. I mentioned the chutney, so I won't do it <laughs> uh, again. Jams, 
maple syrup, all kinds of red pepper flakes for miles, all kinds of things that can allow you to take a dish and amp it up, really get it to a place where it's got a big, big flavor. That's what they do in restaurants, right? We know that restaurant chefs use more butter and more salt than we do at home. And that's why their food is delicious and your mom's is maybe not. So it's a good idea to add more butter and add more salt, but that goes for red pepper flakes. That goes for maple syrup. That goes for soy sauce. Like we want to take whatever it is that we're making and not have it be bland. We want it to be big. And the place you're gonna get that bigness is on the right side of the pantry of your mind where all those condiments are. I love the pantry of your mind and two things, Sam. One, your your sepia photograph comment should have got way more laughs than it did. I laughed hysterically <laughs> at it. Um, and two, I couldn't agree more. Condiments, absolutely. I feel like we should write a book just on all the things you can do with mayonnaise. Oh, yeah. I mean, mayonnaise, I think you could make a mayonnaise smoothie. I mean, mayonnaise is like the, the most underappreciated thing. That means you do like mayonnaise, though, mayonnaise. because mayonnaise is very polarizing. I was almost going to end this conversation oh. if you told me you didn't like oh, mayonnaise, no. mayonnaise, is I love a, mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is just a no-brainer. What about cilantro? Another very polarizing oh my God. Cilantro is a, food, food substance. Yeah. I mean, for sure, there are people for whom cilantro tastes of soap, but like, I'm sorry for them. I am, too. I'm sorry for their loss. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not to me polarizing. It's just they have an affliction, and I'm sorry for it's not, there's no, there's no heat in this yeah. mayonnaise. On the other hand, like I get it. People who don't want to have like a, you know, a grinder with a big splooge of, of mayonnaise on it. I do, but I get it if people don't, but you can use it for so much more to help emulsify a dressing. Absolutely. To um, spread on the outside of your bread when you're making a grilled cheese so that it gets an extra crispy golden deliciousness to it. Yeah. One of my favorites is take a spoonful of it, slather it on your ribeye steak, and then put it on the grill. Oh. Ah, I love that. I love that. Wow. Delicious. Because it's just, it's just oil, right? Yep. It's just, it. yeah, oil, right? Or egg, right? Egg and Both. oil. Both. Yeah. Both. I, you can also use it to zhuzh up a rotisserie chicken, something you, sir, have spent lots of time talking about. Because I go through a rotisserie. I buy a rotisserie chicken every week because I have growing boys. And I also make one because god forbid there not be one in the kitchen my head will roll so what's your what's your go-to with your rotisserie chicken because i know you know how to make something uh, stretch a couple days yeah i i mean i love having a rotisserie chicken around because you can you know on that first on that first evening you can pretend you made it yourself and oh, it's yeah. a poulet roti and you, you know you can eat it with a salad and a, and a baguette and a glass of wine and consider yourself fancy but there's still going to be some left and that's you know that's going to be great to shred for tacos or to make into a chicken salad sandwich or what have you and then you got a carcass and i'm going to make that carcass into a stock that's going to uh in live in a soup of some kind or i'll use it for a braise or use it for all kinds of stuff and sauces and and soups alike it's the gift that keeps on giving yeah and make sure when you take that rotisserie chicken apart right where that thigh connects to the chicken uh right to the pelvis there's a muscle there called the oyster muscle it sits right in that little groove oh. there that is the hands down best piece of chicken on the bird i love it i always go for that before i put it on the table Absolutely. because i deserve it i cooked it Oh, absolutely. 
Now, when you say you cooked it, do you have a, a rotisserie? Sam. Or are you talking about a roast chicken? Just between us girls, there's no rotisserie. There's no, but wait, there's more, a rotisserie in my kitchen. Now, oh. it is just a chicken that I have purchased, likely on sale, though organic, that I've fashioned into something delicious for my children to once again pull the wool over their eyes that I, too, am a good chef. Wow, you learn stuff out here on Girl Island. I like it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the place to be. We're talking with Sam Sifton of the New York Times and New York Times cooking about his cookbook, No Recipe Recipes. Our conversation with Sam continues after the short break. When we come back, we'll get into some more meals that really lend themselves to improvisation. Stuff like meatloaf and quesadillas. Serve it with raw onion and cilantro and a little bowl of the consomme of the sauce to dip the quesadilla in. It was just like bananas. It was so good. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Marisol Castro. You're listening to Seasoned, and we're talking about cooking by the seat of your pants with Sam Sifton. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Our guest this hour is Sam Sifton from the New York Times and New York Times Cooking. Sam's latest book is No Recipe Recipes. The book is a collection of ingredient lists and instructions, and honestly, not one single measurement. We spoke with Sam just before Easter, so naturally we talked a lot about eggs and other things that lend themselves to improvisation, like meatloaf. We also talked about eggs in meatloaf. I just saw a recipe where someone put a hard-boiled egg in a meatloaf. Classic. Yeah. There's a rich tradition of that. In the Philippines in particular, there's a great one, an embudido. That's the one I was talking about, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And the eggs run all the way down. I would be interested in figuring out how to do it. Maybe Chef Wong has an idea how, where you could get it so that it wasn't quite hard-boiled, like a soft-boiled egg in a meatloaf would be really interesting. Oh, like a seven-minute? That's a tough question. I wonder how you could make that happen because you got to cook that meatloaf all the way through. Right. In the process, you're going to... Hmm. Let me get back to you, Sam. Okay. I just... I I think it's a pretty cool idea. And where you cut it and the yolk came out, that would be awesome. Yeah. That would be so neat. Mm. I wonder if we could if we could shape it first, right? Then yeah. bake it in two halves to like seventy five percent, and then finish it with some know, meat glue. Know, yeah, that would be that would be an interesting oh. one. I feel like there's there's something there. We'll try and figure it out. Well, listen, I'm here for quality control. If you need me to test excellent. taste, excellent. Eggs have been much on my mind. Next week is going to commence egg salad season across the nation. Yes, yes. And ma- and yes. mayonnaise will be a player. Very, very true. Sam, one of the things I loved in this book, so I work as a private chef for a long time. I work with an amazing family. I spend the summers in Montauk. And before a party can happen, whether it's a small group of you know four or five people or a larger group, a charcuterie board has to go down. And it's an easy way to really kind of make things feel festive. And I love how much tribute you paid to it in the book. Yeah, I think that, you know, in my house, we call it a party board. And sometimes like that's dinner yeah. or that's lunch where someone will say, should we do a party board? And a party board can be charcuterie and, and some olives and 
cut vegetables and, and the like. But if you really want to throw down and start kind of thinking about how to make it great, that's super fun. Like to take it to another level. Like I'll take mortadella and wrap it in this or roll it into cigars around pickled jalapeno. Maybe with spinach, actually, and <laughs> add, you know, add add that to the to the board. Quick pickles uh, of cucumber or red onion mm-hmm. to go against a big cheese or some carefully shingled uh, salami, or yeah, it's a great thing to do. I love a charcuterie board. It's very festive. It makes it very festive when that comes out. Cause it's so beautiful. But the one thing I hate about them, Sam, is they come out, you put them down, and in 45 seconds, they look like trash again. People just tear it up. Yeah, but I, what I like to do, and it's harder in large groups to do this, because in large groups, in 45 seconds, it looks like a dumpster fire and you're embarrassed. Right. Because not everyone is on it. They're grazing through it. But if you mm-hmm. put a, a fully loaded charcuterie board or party board or snack tray or whatever you want to call it, down in the middle of a kitchen island or a higher table and allow the family to gather around it and to eat communally as we used to do so often before the pandemic, but to eat communally where everyone's picking off the same plate, it underscores how bonded we are as a, as a group or as a family Mm -hmm. and makes it all the more enjoyable. Totally. I love this. I actually, in my darkest hours during the pandemic, I, I told my children, we're going to have um, a charcuterie board. And I was like, in my mind, I have no charcuterie. I did one with cereal and found some fruit and found marshmallows. I put a scoop of peanut butter in the middle. And I was like, look, guys, isn't this fun and special? We've been sheltered in place for two months. We haven't seen another human in months. Um, but here you go. <laughs> they, they, but they really did. Oh, I bet they went wild. That's a great idea. It is a great idea. There was a moment during, it must have been pandemic season two, because pandemic season one was kind of scary. And yeah. pandemic season two, we sort of knew what was going on. We're in pandemic season four now. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Ba- bad writers. Um, but in pandemic season two, I realized at one point that one of my kids the lunch she made was a <laughs> was a big gob of peanut butter and some sliced apples. And that was it. Like, yeah, just dragging the yeah. slices through. And you know what? Really delicious. Well done. Well done. Can we talk about I like this idea of, of meals that we can just kind of do on the fly, but that also lend themselves to improv like sandwiches or quesadillas you know i know the tiktok world went crazy when that weird what was it plum the, the fold over one, right, quesadilla right, right. That... the quesadilla yes so talk to us a little bit about your favorite versatile meals that lend them that really lend themselves to no recipes and that you know we can sort of do on the fly with whatever we have well let's stick with the quesadilla for a minute let's do it that tiktok craze also happened during pandemic times. Pandemic two. I think it was pandemic two. It was pandemic two. That same kid of mine was insistent that we do it, that we make it. And I thought we should do it just by watching TikTok videos and then do it no recipe recipe style. And we did. And it was one of the great meals of season two. It was really, really fun. Do you remember what you put in it? Uh, Yeah, we just, we made a broth out of dried, we got some dried poblanos, we had some other peppers, we softened them up, got them nice and smoky, made a broth, whizzed everything up with onion and tomato and jalapeno, and then 
braised uh, beef off in that until we could shred it apart. Then we separated the sauce from the meat. Then you take a corn tortilla and dip it in the sauce so it gets nice and red, put it on a hot griddle, hit it with a little cheese, a little bit of the meat, fold it over, flip, flip, flip a couple times like a quesadilla would. And then you serve it with raw onion and, and cilantro and a little bowl of the consomme of the sauce to dip the quesadilla in. That sounds amazing. It was just like bananas. It was so good. That was a really fun pandemic season two, no recipe, recipe meal. Maybe that'll be in no recipe, recipes, volume two. I love it. Let's do that. Hey, Please. Sam, let me ask you, do you think season four is when we wake up and it's all a dream because they forgot what else to write? Then? <laughs> That's right. This was all a dream. You're actually a year younger than you thought you were. Right. Hey, one of the things I loved in the book, too, that as a 25-year chef, I looked at it and said, oh, my God, that's a fantastic idea. This guy's a genius. Pizza with no crust. Are you kidding me? What a great idea. Yeah, I thought it was like, why not, man? Just like, yeah. let's just make a big bowl of pizza and serve that. I love it. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, just a big bowl of pizza, dip some bread in it. Put, I mean, what a great party food. Put that out with your party board and some no crust pizza. Sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, have people dip away. That's a fun one. Yeah, I love that. I also love all your uses of cauliflower. I'm a big cauliflower fan for another party type food. Just I think of all the time is I'll roast off a whole head of cauliflower in the oven, a little olive oil, roast it off, and then I'll make like a Israeli shkug, you know, kind of sauce to go on top of it, and then top it with pomegranate, and just put the whole cauliflower out there oh. with a steak knife for people to chop up. I mean, you've got my mind on party food. Obviously, you can see it's catering seasons coming up. Yeah, and we're going to be able to have catering this year, hopefully. Um, yeah, I think roasting off a whole head of cauliflower is one of the great no recipe recipe canvases on which you can do anything. Yeah. Because with those steaks, if you do it with steaks, you can take it in any direction and dress it. You could do buffalo chicken cauliflower steaks. Amazing. Or, or you could do yeah. what I do, which is to roast off the whole head of cauliflower and then put it in the blender and whiz it up with a can of artichoke or a bottle of artichoke hearts and a little bit of the oil from them. And you have this crazy soup that came together in like 37 seconds after the roasting, which took no time at all. Yeah, that's a fantastic recipe too. I saw mm -hmm. that in the book. Just like you said, it's, it's pour the things, hit the button, you're good to go. Don't really need a recipe. Uh, one of the other sandwiches I thought too that you pay so much homage to is a tomato sandwich. And tomatoes in my household with the big garden from my wife, I mean, it's its own religion. It's, it, we have its own holiday. I love that you're talking about, uh, my wife wouldn't, but adding a little pinch of sugar. Yeah, just a little pinch. It depends on the tomato. Like, really, when you think about it, tomatoes only exist, really exist, for a short window of time. Mm. The rest of the time we're eating, you know, they're not processed, but they're industrial tomatoes and they lack the same flavor not the same. that we get in the late summer and, and early fall. And I find that you do sometimes have to doctor those industrial tomatoes a little bit. One thing I really, really like to do is kind of macerate supermarket tomatoes and red wine vinegar with, you know, a little bit of onion in there um, and, and let them as they say, bleed out a little bit. Um, yeah. And you get that big kind of Italian American, like the, you know, those salads you get at the pizza shop, right? That's actually a good salad. That's right. Right. And it, it is benefited by tomatoes treated in that way. 
there's another recipe for tomatoes in the No Recipe Recipes book that I learned from the chef Gabrielle Hamilton. And it's just so great if you have those perfect tomatoes in light summer. And that's just to take a bunch of butter and melt it in a pan and keep it cooking until it turns nutty and fragrant, what they call brown butter. Mm -hmm. And you just drizzle that hot butter over those beautiful slices of perfect tomato. Can't do this right now. You got to hold this in your back pocket till the end of the summer. Mm. Drizzle that hot brown butter over the tomatoes and just serve that. It's like you created, it's a magic trick. You took something that was delicious, made it more delicious, and it took five minutes. I saw that one in the book and I kept thinking butter on the tomatoes like that. Oh, yeah. It's delicious. I've never done that. Try it. That brown butter is a a magical elixir. Bird. And underrated. I think totally underrated. Somebody served me um, before the pandemic. I had a whole bunch of uh, cherry stone clams on the half shell that came with a brown butter that you could just put a drop of the brown butter on the cold shucked clam. And I, it was like, I don't know what taking drugs is like, but it felt like I was taking drugs. But that was it. The magic of Bernoisette. Yeah. Yes. Sam, before we take a quick break, there's one more recipe we really want to get to. And this one's also on the ctpublic.org slash seasoned uh, website. Smashed potatoes with bacon, cheese, and greens. Can we talk through this no rules recipe? Yeah. So don't all those things sound good? Delicious. Don't you have a kind of picture in your head of, of what that is? So the smashing may be complicated for some, but essentially once the potato is cooked in the, in the oven, it grows soft, but it's still in the jacket. If you press down on it with the bottom of a glass or a mug or a cup, it will smash and turn it. It becomes more like a little burger shape with lots of nooks and crannies that are left there from the smashing, which will then um, become crisp and suck up the cheese and all that stuff and the bacon's in there. But you know what? Actually putting the greens in there as well takes it from being just a a ridiculous like bar snack, some college kid football watching meal, a variation on the potato skins and moves it into something that's a little more like, I dare say, a salad. Because now you've got the kind of vegetal deliciousness of the greens, but then you got the fat and flavor of the bacon and the cheese. And then this potato that is both soft and crunchy all at once. So it works out pretty good. That's awesome. And I bet anybody who's listening could make that. Don't need a recipe. Just need the words. I lo- Can I, I want to put that on a bumper sticker. Don't need the recipe. Just need the words. <laughs> You're listening to our conversation with Sam Sifton of the New York Times and New York Times Cooking. We're talking with Sam about his liberating cookbook, No Recipe Recipes. We started off the segment talking about meatloaf. You can find Sam's Not a Recipe Recipe for Meatloaf on ctpublic.org slash seasoned. Go on, riff off of it. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We'll get back to our conversation with Sam in just a few minutes. Sam and I will try to convince Marisol to give quality scallops a chance. She's not a scallop person at all. Right now, you're going to hear from our producers Robin doyen and Katie Talarski about how you can support Seasoned and everything you hear on Connecticut Public Radio. In the spirit of today's guest, Sam Sifton, I'll say, now, it's nothing to do with meatloaf and fried eggs, but can you support us right now? 
Everyone who gets Sam's newsletter understands that reference. I'm Robin Doyon Aiken with Katie Talarski. We're the producers of Seasoned, and your support actually has everything to do with meatloaf and fried eggs. Also, drinks and restaurants and breweries and bakeries. We cover all these fun food topics, often with local Connecticut food makers. We're thrilled to be able to shine a light on. If you love food and cooking and listening to people talk about food and cooking like I do, please support Seasoned and the team who make it each week with your pledge right now. WNPR.org slash donate is the website to go to, or maybe you're near the phone and it's simpler to dial 1-800-584-2788. All of us at Seasoned appreciate everyone who's supported us so far. If you haven't, I hope you will during this hour. That's right. Again, that phone number is 1-800-584-2788 or go online to wnpr.org slash donate. We hope you are enjoying this program of Seasoned, our food show here on Connecticut Public Radio. Um, Again, it's just great fun to work with Robin and the team on the show. Always learning something, always getting ideas to use in my kitchen. Thinking about some of the guests that we've had, uh, that we've introduced our listeners to in the past, Barbecue King Myron Mixon, he was fun for, I think we had him on for a call-in show. Yeah. Um, We talked to Chef Manita Shahan. Ina Garten, Marcus Samuelson, um, Julia Tertian, all sorts of folks who are sort of big names in the food world. And we've also talked to people who are just cooks and chefs in our community, people who are um, you know, doing great work but are lesser no- well-known. And it's just been great to shed light on some of those local folks who are making delicious food um, here in, in the state. Yeah, they're Connecticut famous. Exactly. So um, again, loving sort of amplifying some of those people in the state. Um, if you appreciate the show, please call us. Please um, let us know 1-800-584-2788 or wnpr.org slash donate. Giving online is simple and secure, and you can pick out a gift for yourself or someone else while you're there. You can leave a note and tell us what exactly moved you to donate. Listeners of Seasoned might be especially interested to know that through our special partnership with the Village for Families and Children, when you make a pledge of $15 a month, you can help feed a child for a week through the Village's after-school program. The Village serves children in Hartford, Middletown, Manchester, and Meriden. These are our kids in our communities receiving help from the village. You can play a part in making sure they have the nourishment they need to thrive during their social, emotional, and behavioral therapies. I just love a pledge gift that doesn't just feed the station and keep us going, but your gift in this case will help fill the bellies of kids being supported by the program at the village. WNPR.org slash donate is the website to go to, or dial 1-800-584-2788. And let us know that you want to support Seasoned and the Village for Families and Children. There's so much important, hard news that we're covering right now on Connecticut Public Radio. And I appreciate that Seasoned is sort of a little bit of a break from that. There's a lot of hard news that we need to know about. But but we also need to take a break from that sometimes and just give ourselves some space and hear a great conversation about food or whatever it is. And we have a lot of, um, you know, less newsy, more storytelling based shows on Connecticut Public Radio. So 
if you appreciate that, if you if you appreciate that balance that is brought to you from listening to Connecticut Public Radio, uh, please support that now. Take advantage of all of our thank you items. You can see them at wnpr.org slash donate. Um, maybe some Mother's Day flowers or Mother's Day um, chocolate-covered strawberries look really delicious. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is that you call us now. You support Season and all of our programming on Connecticut Public Radio, 1-800-584-2788. Or again, wnpr.org slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We're so lucky we get to spend the hour with Sam Sifton. He's the man whose What to Cook newsletters from the New York Times inspire our cooking all week long. His new book, No Recipe Recipes, is meant to empower home cooks who are confident enough to wing it a little. Can we talk about rice? Sure. Because uh, I'm a good little Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx. If there was a meal without rice, you know, we thought that our parents had won the lottery because, <laughs> you know, rice filled you up, right? If you were just eating a steak, you're rich, but you got to have rice with everything because that's that's how they filled our buddies. I thought I could make rice stretch. You, you take even just, you know, take out fried rice to a whole other level. First of all, if you have leftover rice from takeout, save it. Put it in the freezer because... Yeah. To make good fried rice, you want it cold anyway. That way the grains stay apart. You don't get clumpy or anything like that. So anytime you have takeout rice that's left over, save it. Likewise, whenever you make rice, make more rice than you're going to serve because then you can put that in the freezer as well. So there's always available to you a cooked starch that you can make into something else. Fried rice can be anything. You could make a kielbasa fried rice and it would probably be pretty good, right? You've got some vegetables, you this, you that, fry it all up and you're off to the races. Fried rice is endlessly adaptable. As my son would say, fried rice is dope. What about the fried egg, which I find elevates anything? I mean, I should have put a fried egg on that cereal snack board. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if there were an app, you know, where you could say, can you put an egg on it? Mm -hmm. The answer would always be yes. Yeah. I mean, having a fried egg on top of your fried rice, for instance, is a delicious thing. Having a fried egg on top of a grilled cheese sandwich is a delicious thing. Yeah. Having a fried egg on a pizza is a delicious thing. Oh. I advocate putting eggs on just about everything. So, Sam, I hate to bring up polarizing food, but here we are, okay? Okay. Scallops? Don't look at me like that, Chef Plum. Chef Plum is throwing his hands in the air like, I can't believe you're going to do this to me. I will eat one scallop and that will suffice. Two, you lost me. Also, so few humans know how to make a good scallop. That part's true. That's true. So can we just sit with this for a moment? The first yeah. scallop is you like it or it's just I like okay? It. It's in between okay. The idea of I like it? The, no, I like the idea of a shot of tequila. I don't do it. I <laughs> sip it neatly. A scallop is okay. I take the first bite. I'm like... Okay, I take the second bite and I'm like, I don't like this, but I want to like it. Got it. Do you feel the same way about Swiss cheese? No, I love Swiss cheese. Uh. I'm an anomaly. It's I'm a weirdo. There's a reason I'm single. It's it's a whole thing. It is true that the reason I mentioned the Swiss cheese is because I think Swiss has this as well. There's a little bit of kind of acidity in a scallop that I think puts people off sometimes. But the real problem is that most people, when they eat scallops, they're eating poorly prepared scallops mm. that are they're overdone. Mm. Preach. 
to tell you the truth, here's another recipe, recipe for scallops. Take the scallop, get rid of the little abductor muscle, and eat it. Raw? Like, why are we even cooking it? Absolutely. Sure. You Raw. You want Can it? I put a little salt on it? Put some Bernazette on it. Okay. Do whatever you want. Raw. But you don't. You, <laughs> the, the thing is, like, people don't understand when we say, you know, you're overcooking the scallop. Like, it's really easy to overcook a scallop. So easy to overcook it that you could eat it raw and it'd be pretty good. I think scallop on sushi, it's great. I get some of the best scallops in the world in the summertime working out in Montauk. And my goal this summer, my goal is going to be to make Marisol Castro like scallops. I'm going to make that my mission in life to make that happen. The, the biggest piece of advice I always give people when it comes to scallops, and maybe you agree or disagree with me, is the abductor muscle off because it's chewy and not very nice. But dry them off before you do anything. Make sure they're nice and dry. That's number one. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, look, we're lucky. I have access to that same run of scallops you get in Montauk. I'm quite close to the Shinnecock fleet. And, you know, they're getting scallops from similar grounds. Uh And so those are what they call in restaurants day boat scallops. They've, They've just come in. They haven't been processed. They haven't been frozen. If you're going into a, you know, a supermarket in Waterbury, and getting scallops. Those scallops have probably been frozen and may even have been treated so that they've been kind of plumped up with the same kind of saline solution that they sometimes use in chickens. And you're going to have a hard time with that scallop getting it to be good. It's wet. It's kind of flabby. It's not going to be awesome. But one of these day boat scallops that you get probably near the coast dried off well, and then gently cooked well, that's just great. I think if I can join you in, in trying to get myself to become a scallop fanatic, let's do it. I'd try a tasting where, where we did a, a kind of sushi or sashimi preparation on the one hand. Let's do it. And then on the other, I think it would be really cool. One thing I like to do is to literally fry the scallop in rather more oil than you would ordinarily use on one side. So that you get this crisp brown crust on one side and then turn it over and put it on the plate just like that. That's fantastic. And Sam, I got a guy, he calls me when his boat comes in. I go and meet him behind the docks at Gossman's. 30 bucks, he gives me a bag, of, like a Ziploc gallon bag of scallops. They're fantastic. I've, I, I've met a few of those sketchy characters myself. Oh, yeah. Those, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Sam, I wanted to ask you, I, I was watching videos this morning and I watched you make burgers at home. You know, get a great 80-20 grind of beef, season it properly, and get that nice crust on the outside of the of the beef, right? Which I appreciated. You did not call it caramelization because it's not caramelization. It is the Maillard reaction. That's correct. Proteins don't caramelize. When you said that, I said, this man knows exactly what he's talking about. Talk about cooking a burger at home. How easy is it? It's super easy. It also demonstrates that our tastes have changed, I think, as a nation over pandemic. Like, the one thing that I often say is, Make your burger smaller than you think, right? Because everybody's thinking of these giant burgers that we used to eat at burger palaces or or whatever. But like, I like making little smash burgers, Mm -hmm. just two and a half, three ounces, maybe two of them, smash them hard and get them nice and nice and nice and crisp. I find that just a small patty smashed and nice and crisp trumps pretty much anything that you're going to get in a fast food restaurant. I actually do want to talk about desserts, which will not be including mayonnaise. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite dessert? What dessert is in heavy rotation in the Sifton household? You know, I'm not a big pastry person. I can bake pretty well, but 
I'm concentrating on savory most of the time. So take this with a grain of salt, but I really do believe in fruit for dessert. I love the kind of simplicity of an orange after a complicated meal Mm -hmm. or watermelon after a, a complicated meal. One of the things I make sure to do every summer is to put aside some of the, on the same day that I have the best watermelon of the year, I buy another watermelon and I chop it up and I freeze it so that in the depths of winter, and I was able to do this during pandemic season three, I can pull it out and make a granita. A granita. And it tastes like August. Mm. All of a sudden, it's February, it tastes like August. So I think fruit is a really good thing to have around. And I also think an underrated dessert for us grownups is cookies and milk. Oh, yes. We have forgotten the joys of milk. And actually, when we grew up, milk was probably pretty terrible. Now, with organic milk widely available, you take like a a shot glass or a champagne flute, just an ounce or two of, of cold organic milk and serve that with a freshly made chocolate chip cookie. Wow. That's a pretty good dessert. Yeah. Yeah. The simplicity of it all. When you were talking about fruit and pastry, I thought you were going to steer us towards my Puerto Rican compatriot, Von Diaz, because she's got all this pasta de guayaba, which loosely translates into uh, guava pastry. Yeah, you got to go to NYT Cooking, to the New York Times cooking site, and see this collection of recipes that Von Diaz put together for us, her essential Puerto Rican recipes. It's a game changer. It's going to change my perennial game. I know. She's fantastic. I know. You're going to have a a pig on a spit in your backyard rolling it like we used to do when I was a kid. I would love to do that. In in our backyard. It's the best way to have it. And I would say, add to the pantry. I don't know which side we're going to add it to, the left or the right. Guava paste. Excellent. Is also nice to add. I think we're going to put that on the right side. Fine. That works for me, too. (laughs) (laughs) And with that... My stomach continues to growl, but I thank you, Sam Sifton, so much for your time and your energy and your words and your humor and bringing us into your uh, the culinary vortexes of your brain. Well, thanks so much for having me, and I hope you all enjoy the book. That was Sam Sifton. Sam is the assistant managing editor at The New York Times and the founding editor of New York Times Cooking. His latest cookbook is No Recipe Recipes. Check out Sam's meatloaf, smashed potatoes with bacon, cheddar, and greens, and seared scallops on the show's website, ctpublic.org slash seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen Aiken and Katie Talarski. Marisol and I hope you'll stick around for just a few more minutes so Robin and Katie can tell you how you can support Seasoned. When you pledge your support during this hour, you're letting us know that you value fun conversations with cooks and cookbook authors like this one. I'm Robin Doyon Aiken with Katie Talarski. We are the producers of Seasoned, and if you've learned something or been inspired by the conversations you've heard on Seasoned, we are asking you to go to the station's website right now and make a pledge. Visit wnpr.org donate or call 1-800-584-2788 to pledge your support for this programming. We've been working extra hard over this last year to bring you the voices and stories of Connecticut's food makers and farmers. Some of my favorite interviews Marisol and Chef Plum have done have been with the tireless people who grow our food. We've talked to vegetable farmers, poultry farmers, kelp farmers, oyster farmers, and even herbal tea farmers. 
As the weather gets warmer, you can expect us to get out there and talk to more of these special local people who help us understand where our food comes from. Please call 1-800-584-2788 or go to wnpr.org slash donate to pledge your support. When you do, you are saying, I want to hear from more food makers and growers around the state. That's right, 1-800-584-2788 or wnpr.org slash donate. We do have a great thank you item, which I'm sure you've heard about if you've been listening. It's our partnership with the Village for Families and Children for a gift of $15 a month. Um, you can help feed a child for a week through the Village's after-school program. Um, it's their extended day treatment program, and it helps support children in need of therapeutic care for social, emotional, and behavioral disorders. So, Again, a great way to support Connecticut Public Radio and also support the great work at the Village for Family and Children. But we do, you know, as Robin said, it we do need your support. We need you to um, call and help to continue to bring this program to you. It does cost money. So the number you can call to support Seasoned, as well as all of the programming here on Connecticut Public Radio, and possibly get yourself, um, you know, a thank you item of some sort, 1-800-584-2788 or wnpr.org slash donate. Visit wnpr.org slash donate and become a sustaining member at 5 or 10 or $15 a month or whatever amount works for your budget. You can also call 1-800-584-2788 and make your pledge of support that way. Maybe listening to Sam Sifton today has reminded you that your digital subscription to the New York Times has lapsed or needs to be renewed soon. For a sustaining gift of $19 a month, you can get a digital subscription to the New York Times. So go ahead, grab that subscription, and support Seasoned and everything you hear on Connecticut Public Radio at the same time. Call us at 1-800-584-2788 or go online to wnpr.org slash donate. Whatever amount you can put toward this service that you care about, rely on, and enjoy is so appreciated. Thank you so much.